Welcome to Deepen with Pastor Joby Martin. The Church of 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're praying this message helps you deepen your relationship with Him. Now let's dive in. Welcome back to the Deepen Podcast. Pastor Joby, tell us about your hat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Man, uh, awesome, awesome service. John chapter 9. The blind man. Um, I was going to ask this question at the end, but you mentioned it. Uh, it made me think of Amazing Grace right away. And um, do you th- do you think that's the most famous song ever, besides Happy Birthday? Maybe like in the English speaking world, but things like the Doxology has been around for almost two thousand years. So yeah. it's kind of like when you think like most famous verse. You, we would think John three sixteen, but for. Mm-hmm. 4,000 years before that, every day, twice a day, they prayed Deuteronomy 6. Yeah, yeah. So it probably falls into one of those. Well, um, the word grace is not mentioned in this chapter. So why do you think he chose that as the title? If, we'll, if we're going we're to telegraph our, our psychology back to John Newton and ask ourselves, why did he name the song Amazing Grace? Because I don't think, I think this isn't, John 9 was an illustration of the Amazing Grace I don't think the whole song was written about I was blind, but now I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, verse one. As he passed by, he saw him. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and you pointed this out too, like towards the end when Jesus goes to seek this man, which we're gonna we'll get to, but I love that part. So let's get into it. So we were uh you know, you unpacked a lot of this. Let's start with the the belief, the question that's asked of Jesus. Hey, what, what's the reason for this? And um, I think that's a question that people still inherently ask themselves, right? They're just like, hey, what's causing this, this pain? So why – walk us through that again a little bit, Pastor Joby. Like you, you talked about karma and how it doesn't match the gospel, but, but why is this belief so wrong? So, yeah, there is – you know, karma kind of picks its head up every once in a while. There's just kind of this like first century karma-esque belief which is basically summed up in you get what you deserve. Mm -hmm. And people in our day like to talk about karma, but they only want to talk about like the positive side. Um, No one would walk into a children's cancer ward and Mm -hmm. say, ha ha, you get what you deserve. Nobody Mm -hmm. believes that. Well, some people do, but you know, Americans using the word karma. So they had this idea that you you could probably trace it all the way back to Job's dumb friends. And they were like, the reason you're suffering is your sin. So what is it? And he's like, you know, I don't think it is. And so there are really five reasons, at least five reasons that we do suffer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is the consequence of our own sin. You know, drive drunk, you're going to suffer, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. Like mis- misuse your body long enough, you're going to suffer those consequences. Sometimes it's the sin of others. Sometimes it's just we live in a broken world. Sometimes it's a direct attack from the enemy. And sometimes God hands out pain. You can't you can't read the, you know, Joseph before his brothers in Genesis 50 and 45 saying what you intended for evil God intended for good or Paul asking God to remove the thorn and he says, "No, no, no, I gave that to you." He actually says the Bible says God tormented him with spirits. Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of those things are reasons, and there is this 
idea of generational sin. And people do quote that I will take the iniquity of the father and press it upon three or four generations. But you got to keep going. It keeps going, it says, for those who hate me. So nature and nurture have a lot to do with all of us and may set us up to fall into some of the same sins as our parents. But when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer cursed because he, he became the curse in our place so that we are not. See mm-hmm. the book of Galatians. Mm-hmm. So you put all that there. <clears throat> Jesus answers it, though. He goes, not this one. This is not punitive. He didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. I've had this plan forever for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you so you mentioned like you wouldn't go to somebody in suffering or a hospital or something like that and say, ha, oh, you got what you deserve. Isn't that why cultures where karma is the prevailing belief that you don't help people who are suffering for that reason, right? Because you would mess up the cycle of what they're paying for, right? That's the argument. That's, I mean, and that is a very cause and effect based, mm-hmm. you know, a based rationale. Right. I mean, that's, I think, to Pastor Joby's point, the disciples and the predominant belief among the Pharisees, as the text plays out, the testimony plays out, is they're asking the question, what caused this? Yep. Mm-hmm. And Jesus answers it with, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not what, not what caused this. The question is, for what purpose is this that mm-hmm. it's, it's actually a purpose that the purpose is the glory of God, mm-hmm. and the glory of God is revealed in healing, and the glory, the purpose of healing is the glory of God. The purpose of non-healing mm-hmm. is the glory of God, and that the the works of God or the glory of God might be on display through each and every circumstance and each and every ailment, and you know, and so I think that's the when you're asking when you're thinking cause, Jesus is going. You're asking the wrong question. The question really is a purpose question. Yeah, we when we face suffering, we can have a tendency to ask why. The question for the believer is, how can this be used for the glory of God? Mm. So it could be your own sin, and repentance glorifies God. Mm. It could be that God is preparing you to comfort someone else, that you could, how can I use this to glorify God? I can use this pain, as Paul says in Corinthians, to be an ambassador of mercy mm-hmm. uh, to other people that are experiencing something similar one day. Mm-hmm. Another, how could it be used? You see, like when I watch you walk through losing your dad, you know, it it encourages my faith to see on display nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know, even when God doesn't answer the prayers the way I want them to be answered. Mm-hmm. So it could be... Uh, a witness when we walk through pain and suffering, and people display a peace that transcends all understanding. So that if you get very much what you're saying, Britt, if you get more to the like, how can this glorify God versus why does this happen, mm-hmm. I think we're more positioned to be able to glorify God in our response. Well, you mentioned it tonight, and I, I don't want to talk about this in any way but but an honoring way. But you talked tonight about Night to Shine, Mm -hmm. and the whole time you were talking, I I just was thinking, having been to many Night to Shines, and looking forward to going to this one with my whole family, we'll all be there, is the number of questions that have been asked along the way from the parents, the number of, uh, you know, cause-based thinking at time or or tears that were shed and trying to understand 
both how to best care for and how to best love and how to be, and to ask you know deeper and wider questions of all kinds of varieties you, you know and then you're at night to shine and you're with people that the world would say have this disability or this difference or whatever but there's so much joy there's so much glory of god on display and people loving each other and it's like the purpose of this is that the glory of God would be revealed in every dance move, in every laugh, in every hug, in every high five, and it's a it's so it's such a beautiful picture mm-hmm. of how diverse God's kingdom is, and how deep God's love is, and how and a lot of times we create categories in our world of things that trying to make sense of things that seemingly are happening outside of our control or outside of our purposes. And God's purposes are just greater, and they're more beautiful, and they're mm-hmm. more intentional. And it, it, it's a great way to get your eyes up off of our appetites for control and to see the beauty of the reality of mm-hmm. God's sovereignty at work and the, in, in, in the beauty and all the differences. And so I, I, the whole time you were talking, because this is the preeminent text on how to deal with the sovereignty of God and disabilities and Jesus, because Jesus is right in the middle of this Mm -hmm. thing and he could have handled it any number of ways and he handled this one specifically. And so uh, I just, I reiterate your invitation to be at night to shine to anyone who's listening because it is such a kingdom-fueled, heart-filling brother and sister thing. No doubt. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a family thing. It's so good. Do you, something I thought while you were talking about that, are you intending, all, so maybe somebody listening is not like full on devoted to the belief of karma, uh, but are you also intending to call out anybody who would use little phrases like, well, it goes around, comes around, or I guess that's karma. You know what I mean? Like, are well, you. The Bible tra- does say you reap what you sow. Mm-hmm. That's different from God punishes you. Mm-hmm. And your and generations to follow when you do bad things, right? Just gotta be careful with that stuff. Yeah. But I, here's where it plays out, man. Um, you, you, and here's what I think some of the generational curses are. And Pastor Britt talked about this with Doctor Ray. Is that his name? Doctor Ray. Yeah. Oh, uh, Doctor Benzio. One of those two guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The like you begin to believe a narrative that is defined by the family you come from. Mm. And you think, because my family has done this, mm-hmm. therefore my future is that. And that that narrative in your life gets louder than the gospel. Like, people have always let me down. Therefore, I can't build healthy relationships right now with people at my church because they're going to let me down too. Mm-hmm. That's not the gospel. Or, and I can get into this one a little bit, the, man, you get blessed so much for so long you're just like waiting for something. Surely something bad's got to happen in my life. But that's good dads don't set their kids up just to like make them fall. That's not it. Good dads discipline their children for sure, but that's different than mm. like, hey, I'm just giving you this so that I can take it away and make you hurt one day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it can play in. Does that make sense? Like, yes. I love what you said about not asking why. And I read a I read a book last year about that. Like, and you mentioned Job. That was the that's the preeminent text about people trying to understand why, and they're never really given the answer, 
right? They're just given, I'm God, is really the answer. Gird up your loins and take this like a man. <laughs> exactly. Now tell me if this is true tonight, but you had mentioned, you mentioned Job in the sermon mm-hmm. and his friends. And, you know, Job's whole life is an absolute, I mean, it turns into an absolute hurricane. I mean, just the worst. And somewhere in Job, I, I couldn't find it out. It, it says that he has bad breath. Did you know that? <laughs> no, I don't I, I may be making that up. I need to go do the deep dive, but I thought, man, to add injury to insult, <laughs> the guy loses everything. Politics. And for in in the canonized scriptures, it says, uh, "Bro got bad breath." Gingivitis <laughs> is the number one cause of all tooth decay. Uh, and the thing about the thing about Job is that we, as the reader, have a piece of information that he never gets. Like we're never told that he knows mm. about the conversation between God and Satan. And that it was God's suggestion. Have you considered my servant Job? Right. And then he upped the game when at yeah. first he's like, oh, that's just because you're taking away his people and money. Like, it's like can't right. hurt his body? Well, you can't kill him. Right. Oof. One of my favorite, our, our favorite pastors, Dr. Piper, he uses the phrase a greater glory over and over mm-hmm. and over and over and over and over again. And even though I do not understand all that a greater glory means, it is such a, an anchor of hope in the middle of hard times is that God is at work for a greater glory mm-hmm. than anything that I could conjure on my own that this situation could have by right. being able to be explained, that there is a greater glory at work. And you think about it, if you if God answered that prayer, why are you doing this? I don't think we have the capacity to hear the answer this side of eternity, right? Like Because if he was to try to unpack to you all of the intricacies of the tapestry that he's weaving like you just can't handle that so it's like the better question is what do you want me to do right now or how how can i give you the most glory and you mentioned that those five reasons you know that uh, can cause pain so why is it that explanation isn't really the answer for people going through because we're heart soul mind and strength and all explanation does is handle the mind Mm. but like if somebody you know some, there's some doctor that can explain technical reasons why your parents both passed away. Mm-hmm. What does that do for your heart? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we can explain theological reasons that we live in a broken world. It's not their fault. It's just happened, mm-hmm. right? That's still that just we are a psychosomatic mm-hmm. entity, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so explanations of why don't cover it all. Mm-hmm. Have you ever made that mistake of? Saying too much to somebody who was hurting, or offering the explanation instead of just being there. I mean, I'm sure. I you know I've tried. Not, I've really tried from John 11 <clears throat> when Jesus shows up and he deals with Mary and Martha very differently. Mm-hmm. The, especially initially when Jesus just weeps mm-hmm. with Mary, that's a really incredible picture. He knew why. He even knew what was going to happen, and mm-hmm. yet he cried with her because he's the eternal I am. He's mm-hmm. in that moment. And I think that's really, really key to Christian ministry. It's just presence and weeping with those who weep and helping people. There aren't bad feelings. Feelings make bad decision makers, but Mm -hmm. God gave us feelings to navigate life. Those are very important Mm -hmm. realities. Mm -hmm. To your question, we're all about explaining, understanding the explanation. It seems that we're usually on the hunt for someone to blame. And we want to, a lot of us want to start with ourselves. And it's like, if I can blame myself and 
take some sense of responsibility for whatever is on the other that I'm trying to get explained. And that seems that the disciples too are like, whose fault is this? And it's just human nature to look for somebody to blame. But mm-hmm. I think God's invitation is that he's somebody you can trust. Mm-hmm. And he's it's not who, who's to blame for this is not the right question. But who are you going to trust in the middle of it? That's really the invitation from God is mm-hmm. to trust him. Mm-hmm. So I will say in times of pain, having some serious biblically grounded theological understanding of the character and nature of God is only going to be a foundation and anchor for your soul. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> probably talking about it too much. So when Brad dies, why? He had a heart attack. He has a family history of heart attacks. He he went to Mayo and got all checked out because they knew we were going to be hiking these mountains and they gave him a clean bill of health. Okay, so, but theologically, even though it hurt my heart and I cried a lot, I never got mad at God because I know he can be trusted. I think if you, 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 before you said, if God answered the question to why, I think his answer would be, you find it in 1 Corinthians, you'll see. Mm. Like right now you see through a dim, uh, through mm. a glass dimly. One day, you will see in full. Mm-hmm. And he and God is only trustworthy. So you'll go, oh, yeah, you did it again, you know? We'll understand it all by and by. Yeah, you will see that my grace is sufficient for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And that my power is made perfect through your weakness, mm-hmm. you know? So you got into it, uh, Pastor Joby, with the mud pies thing, which I thought was so great. Um, and I love the connection between... God forming Adam from the dust of the ground. Um, but I've asked this question a lot, and I think I know uh, at least some of the answer. But why do you think he, Jesus picked almost a different method every time to heal a person? I think it's a little bit of um, like... Can't guess him. John 3, you know, he's like the wind. He, like you don't know where he's coming from. He does what he wants to do. I think if you began, like if every time he hired a blind, healed a blind person... There was like three steps to it. That's a, that's all. The church would turn this thing. We'd miss everything. Mm-hmm. We'd be going to mud mixing seminars. We would turn it into, you know, here are the methods of miracles and there, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. So I think that's why there's things like we don't know what he scribbled in the ground in John 8. We have no idea what the thorn in the flesh is. Everybody loves mm-hmm. to guess. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because we get, boy, Christians can make the least important thing the most important thing. Real, just all gravitate mm-hmm. to the, to the details and miss the whole point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the 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 Pharisees are like, "Did you do this on the Sabbath?" And I just feel like the blind guy was like, "You heard I was blind, right?" Like we're sitting here, I'm looking at you guys in the eyes, and you're you're focused on the day. Mm-hmm. Are you serious right now? I think that's actually what the mud was about. I've heard it argued, and I, I would lean this way that he was working. That the mud, the word mud, actually is the same word as dough or the same word as clay mm-hmm. in the logs. The law, as the Pharisees would have interpreted it, said you, you don't need dough or you don't right. work on the Sabbath. And he knew that this thing was going to set the Pharisees off by doing this healing on the Sabbath. And so the, it was a, it was a means to the, to the greater end for the Pharisees that he was doing this work that the Pharisees would have deemed as forbidden on the Sabbath. And so the, the mud had to do with Saturday, mm-hmm. not 
the means of healing. It was way more about mm, yeah. the transgressing of the law as the Pharisees would have interpreted it. So I agree so. that Jesus is intentionally offensive, particularly to the religious. Right. And then the key here, here's the key distinction, I think. The, the Scripture doesn't say the needing thing. It's the pharisaical interpretation of what work is. Hmm. Like the Bible doesn't say how many steps you can take. I think he's like uh, three strikes because there's 39 uh, works that you can't participate in according hmm. to the Talmud. Hmm. And needing is one of them. Uh, walking too far is one of them. And I think they added healing. Actually, after this, they added anointing to eyes. How about that? Like later in Jewish history. Hmm. <laughs> so... So I looked all that stuff up, but it, it didn't seem to apply. But that's it. The, the, the problem is guardrails are great mm-hmm. when they're self-imposed. That's just wisdom. Mm-hmm. But if I try to impose upon you the right guardrails for me, that is fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. And you said, you said uh, several things about religious people, you mm-hmm. know, and that I think when you're defining it, you, you mean what you just said, like the, the person who wants to judge somebody else and ultimately push them away because they're not upholding their own preferences or standards. So I think the, the best definition of it um, is when they say, uh, "You." this is verse 30-something. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us, and they cast him out. That's it, man. That's the mm-hmm. attitude of what of religious people. Mm-hmm. Like they are looking down their nose at this guy saying, you were born in utter sin. You deserve to be blind because mm-hmm. you were born in sin. Mm-hmm. And even if we were born as sinners, we're not anymore mm-hmm. because we have worked that out for us. And so get away from mm-hmm. me. Would you call that purely, I don't want to say evil, but is that is there any good intention in that person who's, re- who's religious by that definition? Or are they just 100% off and missing, missing it completely? Um, I mean, there's good intention in as much as the older brother had good intentions to earn his father's mm-hmm. love, mm-hmm. but it's just as lost as the rebel mm-hmm. that says, I do what I want. Yeah. Do you think anybody who hears that, like, hey, religion, like, hey, don't reject Jesus because of religious people, uh, how do they avoid going for an overly, like swinging the opposite way and going for an overly simplistic, hey, it's just just love Jesus and do my best kind of thing. You know what I mean? Read your Bible and do what it says. <laughs> just don't make up stuff that's not in the Bible, right? Man. You know? Yeah. It, it, I think it is, a load, it is a loaded term, right? A religious. Like, are you religious? Have you ever somebody asked you that? Like, we're talking a lot about sharing our faith and stuff. Oh, so man. are you religious? How do you answer that? I say, what do you mean by religious? Yeah. If you'll notice, Jesus, I think he asked 300, I forget it, 307 questions and answered three. Mm-hmm. So I usually try to play the Jesus game and answer questions Sorry, with questions. Smart, questions. Yeah. Because cause there's one of two ways you can go about it. If they're talking about just like human traditions, I go, you know, the classic line, no, it's about a relationship with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Or you can go, but there is religion that is pure and undefiled mm-hmm. means that not only mm-hmm. do I believe in him, but I try to act like it by doing some of the things that he's commanded me to do mm-hmm. and that he did himself, like mm-hmm. take care of the widows and the orphans and the least right. of these. Yeah. So in, in James' definition, I am extremely religious because I sponsor seven compassion kids. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But I, So it depends on what the person means. Is it a mm-hmm. negative or a positive yeah. term that they're using? 
Yeah, I wouldn't want somebody to think that spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits should be rejected because they seem religious, right? Because we, we use the phrase, oh, you do that religiously. That means you do it often. And hopefully we are going to church and praying often and reading our Bibles often. So in that, in that sense, we are practicing a religion, right? Yeah, but I think the difference is, is that... Um, what's the point? Oh, what's the point? Are they a means to an end that are an abiding relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. or are the activities the end? Yeah. I am righteous because of fill it in Sunday mm-hmm. school or I give or you know mm-hmm. whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. That would be a works righteousness religion mm-hmm. that is... Uh, People are lost in that. Right. Yeah, and it seems like there might be cases where somebody starts off in a conversion in a relationship, but then as time goes by, it can kind of become a checklist, right? And n- need to be reawakening. That's why we come to church. Exactly. So we shake that stuff up, man. Right. Yeah. We've I've shared that this on on here before, I believe, but it's the your your motivations for obedience. Mm-hmm. There's kind of three categories: yeah. duty, delight, and design. Mm-hmm. If you are following Jesus from a sense of dutiful obligation of like, I have to do this, and I have to check all these boxes to be right with God and to receive God's blessing and God's favor, that's going to just lose steam, man. It's just mm-hmm. it's hard to only live from dutiful obligation. It's hard to be married if the only reason I treat my wife well. And the only reason that I in, try to engage with my family is because I'm the husband and that's my job. Mm-hmm. It's just this dutiful sense of so duty-based obedience. Mm-hmm. There is a time and place where it's like, I just don't feel like it and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, sure. Right? Because I know it's the right thing to do and I'm just going to do it. But if you only ever live from there, it's a, it can be a bummer. Mm-hmm. It's going to run out of steam. Delight is, man, I can't believe I get to love my wife. You know, I, I can't believe, I you know, I get to be a follower of Jesus, and it's joy, and it's, you know, everywhere I look, it's like, oh, man, this is, there's a lot of opportunity. And then design but is... there's still a lot of you in that. There is. Like... It's kind of a good, better, best situation. Yeah, yeah totally, you know? totally. Um, and the, then, the, then this design, like, I am made for Him, mm-hmm. by Him. Mm-hmm. I am loved by God. I am made for people. The reason I am on the planet, as de- the reason God designed me, is for His glory and for my joy, and those things are mutually, you know, submitted unto one another all the time. So I think that's a, that's a way. To th- the Pharisees were, were dutiful obligation unto the law for their sake and for mm-hmm. self love, mm-hmm. and Jesus's invitation is. That the only rate, way to truly know who you are is by losing yourself in love with God. Mm. And through that, you'll realize God's design and plan for you and for all things. Here's how you know that the Pharisees reject. So the word Pharisee means separated. So the idea seemingly started from a right place. Mm. All right, boys, here's what we're going to do. This is what the Bible says. And we're going to even do more than this so that we can be separated from the world so that we won't be tainted by the sinfulness of this world Mm -hmm. so that when the Messiah shows up, if anybody recognizes him, it'll be us. Which led to not only this dutiful obligation, it led to this pride. Mm -hmm. We know better than you. And so when they hear 
well, maybe this is the Messiah because, I mean, here's what's crazy. They lost sight, pardon the pun, that Isaiah said the Messiah would bring sight to the blind. Nobody in the Old Testament ever got healed of blindness. Mm -hmm. Jesus does this, and they're like, they got so, you like to use the phrase of looking through the straw. They got so hung up looking through the straw of the rules they made up about the Messiah, literally. Mm -hmm. They could smell the probably good breath of mm -hmm. Jesus, and they don't recognize the Word became flesh. is sitting right in front of them, and they had spent their whole life, they said, to recognize Him. Mm -hmm. The spirit of judgmentalism mm. is, it, it, you know, it is a, comes out of a prideful heart, mm. and it's that I am, I am desperate to feel better about me at your expense. Yeah. And the Pharisees were so judgmental in every direction. And grow, have grown up and been around church that forever, and I know the spirit of the Pharisee very, very well, and have have been one at different times. But it just comes one to one with standing in judgment over or in judgment of right. other people. Mm -hmm. You you judge based on appearance. You judge based on what you perceive. You judge based on subconscious constructs of socioeconomic class, you judge based on your interpretation of their behavior and even more dangerously, your interpretation of their intention. Yeah, that's, that's really dangerous. Mm -hmm. That's And so the Pharisees are doing all of that in this text. Mm -hmm. They're standing in judgment toward this man based on they've pat, they saw him begging in the street. And what a missed opportunity and, and, to celebrate... The miraculous work of the living God that you say that you've been preparing for, mm -hmm. and you completely miss it. Man, I tell you what, one of the things I love about this church, and the list is long. We had two two baptisms tonight; were just incredible. I mean, how the one girl? She was an she a self proclaimed atheist, and six weeks ago she starts coming here, and here because she didn't. I don't know why she didn't really say why she started coming, but she would have fallen in the category that the Bible is just another book like anybody else. <clears throat> she hears me talking about J.R. Tolkien, talking to C.S. Lewis about what the Bible actually is, and she just goes, that's truth. Now she's in the water mm -hmm. proclaiming Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, dude. Let's go. And our church erupts into praise. Man, praise God for that. Mm -hmm. That's what the blind guy does. He worships. Mm -hmm. the, the religious people criticize. Mm -hmm. So, man, I'm just, if you're in a worship service, and you see a miracle like salvation, you know? And your first question is, that, Did that really is that real? Oh, oh, boy. You, you were playing on a team. It ain't Team Jesus. Mm. I'm just telling you, man. Oof. The thing that gets me is that, like, the people who are like, we've got to be so holy and godly start to hire false witnesses to murder someone mm. to that end. You know, that's, that's, that's right. not, not in yeah. this text, but, like, they're like, no, that's all right. where it plays out. All right, we got to get this guy. We we got to kill him, you know, <laughs> how so, that we, far so that we can you, be holy. How far are you willing to go to prove yourself right? Oof. Wow. Yeah, wow. Well. Think about that. Hmm. Think of how many marriages have died on the vine because... Just couldn't admit it. They just couldn't admit hmm. that either... That probably we're both wrong. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I say the little phrase, everything is kitschy, like I'm just trying to be funny. I say it because it's memorable, but... Bro, you can be right or you can be married. And I get that. It takes a lot more words from Jesus and his relationship with us. He could have chosen to make sure everybody knew he was right. 
and it was not his fault. But instead of it, he took responsibility for things that were not his fault for the sake of the relationship. And that's how we're supposed to love our wives. Isn't that so real, though? Like, that's isn't it real? so crazy how hard it is sometimes to just be like, you know what? Dang it, I'm wrong. You know? Dude, I'm the worst. And it could be the the smallest little thing, but you're just like, I'm going to hang on to that. Dig in my heels. Oh, we all need Jesus. Uh, the the man in the store when you were talking about this and we're unpacking it, there's a, there's an element of comedy to this story that I just love. Sure. Like the and the guy he's he's almost funny. He's just like, you tell me. I don't know. And and uh, but his his testimony. One one thing that stands out is that it's so simple. You right. know, it's just like, hey, I don't know anything else besides this. His name is Jesus. He put him out of my eyes, and I can see now. You know, and so unpack a little bit more. How that can free up us as we want to and we want to share our story with others that it doesn't have to be complicated. Well, first, do your homework. I gave out homework tonight or this weekend, <clears throat> and either write down your testimony, answer those three questions: What was your life like before you met Jesus? How'd you meet him? What's it been like since then? But include the ugly there. And if you've never done that, you would be amazed. You would think, "Oh, I could tell my story." Okay, try it. Write it down. And, or, if you don't want to write, that's fine. Speak it out loud. Like, literally, pretend like somebody just asked you the question. So, tell me about you and this whole Jesus thing. And you should practice Mm. saying this out loud. Right. Because you don't, I mean, one of the things that I pointed out through an event in my life is people can argue about all kinds of things. But people cannot argue with your story. Mm-hmm. They just can't. Right. About your eyewitness testimony right. of your experience with the Lord. Yeah. There are many things in life, most things in life, you get better at with practice. And maybe some of the fear at sharing your testimony has to do with a lack of reps. Yeah. Right? Like, you haven't practiced it, so it's not going to come easy, you know? Um, so it's simple. It doesn't have to be complicated. Now, we didn't get to this. We didn't quite get to these last couple of verses, so hope you don't mind. I'm going to read these last couple of verses that once he, once Jesus comes and finds the man and he worships him. Verse 39 says, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, our guilt remains. So there's a lot more there. It's like a whole other sermon there. That's right. There's a reason we stopped. Yeah, exactly. So when Jesus... already going a little long. (laughs) When Jesus says, for judgment I came into the world, uh, how does that square with God so loved the world that he came to save it? John 3.16. It keeps going. But it says he didn't come to condemn the world. That's the difference. He can't, He's going to judge the quick and the dead. Mm. And the judgment is sheep on the right, goats on the left. Mm-hmm. But the, he's not condemning mm-hmm. the sheep on the right. Right. That's what he means, right, and when he says... 317 says we already stand condemned. Right. That's it. So he's saving us from our own, the judgment that we have incurred upon right. ourselves. It's trying, we, it's trying to separate grace and justice. He just can't. And so, you, you know, one on the, are you saying I'm blind and we're blind? I think Jesus and the Pharisees are using different dictionaries and Jesus is the only one that knows it in mm-hmm. that exchange. Mm-hmm. But as Jesus is saving people, 
unbelief is simultaneously being revealed. And this is the judgment that you did not believe right. on him who came into the world right. to save the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's the division. As people are placing their faith in Jesus and surrendering under following him and trusting him as the Messiah. Right. At the same time, there's a whole lot of folks that are not doing that, and that unbelief is now revealed and clear in life as it will be clear in death. And so um, the best illustration I've ever heard is uh, about this is like if the Navy SEALs are sent on a rescue mission to save a POW, and the commander looks at him and says, save that life, do whatever you have to do to do it. So there's going to be a lot of justice dealt out mm-hmm. to save that POW. To display grace on To one. display grace on the one. Mm-hmm. But that, that, that POW is going to be saved mm-hmm. through the rescue mission of the Navy SEALs. Every illustration falls apart somewhere, but that's a pretty good picture. It's yeah. like if a doctor has to cut your arm off to save you from the infection in your arm, to save your life. Right. So is there a division? Mm-hmm. Yes, but is there ultimately salvation? Yes. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So, yeah. And you mentioned, Pastor Joby, you said if you think Jesus isn't offensive, he is. And so part of the reason I asked some of those questions, I think there might be overly simplistic assumptions about Jesus. Like, oh, I didn't. I thought Jesus was just everything was love and not judgment. But when he says those things, he means something. you got to dig in a little bit deeper. Elsewhere, Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword, that's it. Right? Bro, how about he says, I'm coming back with a sword out of my mouth and, I, and fiery eyes. And mm-hmm. I mean, this like, you know, for sure he was born meek and lowly. Mm-hmm. That is not his current state mm-hmm. at all. Nor was it his teaching ministry. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know. You don't murder somebody that's. That talks pa- stories that, about sons coming yeah, home this, and stuff. Yeah, this pushing a passive. Yeah. Right. You, you don't get murdered for that. Correct. Yeah. It's the whole C.S. Lewis quote, right? He doesn't leave us the room to be just a good moral teacher. He does you know? not. He's either the Lord or a lunatic, for sure. Or a liar. Yeah, that's how powerful that message is. It can literally split your family apart, right? Separate your fathers and sons. He actually and, says the very thing. He says <laughs> that's that, right, right, man. Yeah. Um, and, and when he says, they, they say, are you saying that we're blind? He said, if, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but because you say we see, your guilt remains. So what is he pointing at, that spiritual presumption that he's pointing at right there? A part of what he's pointing at is he, he I think Jesus is like bobbing and weaving using the same words and they mean different things a couple times. Mm-hmm. I think he's like, I think they say it's so snarky. They're like, you're saying we blind? Like we're the experts? Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. And his reply in like plain speak would be like, spiritually, yes. Mm-hmm. But you just heard me explain everything. You have no excuse. Mm-hmm. You will help be held accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, all the excuses are gone now. Here we are, face-to-face. You just heard Mm -hmm. me explain. Mm -hmm. And woe to you. Yeah. Now, those people, the Pharisees, religious experts. And sometimes I think about spiritual presumption. And you mentioned this, too. Like, is is it possible for the person who just comes to church all the time to have that same presumption? They wouldn't consider themselves an expert, but they think they're just their church attendance— kind of gets them by, or maybe their grandparents, or like you said, the, you know, inherited version of faith, which is not really real, you know, is that, is that a version of the same thing or is it different? Yeah, I actually think, uh, 
there's a version of Jesus that gets preached that is such a like wimpy milk toast ver- version of Jesus. Like once all your dreams are shattered, then he's the open door. And that that's like a verse to us, like some song we used to courses we used to sing. Mm-hmm. And I think the person that is very, very secure in their own personal activities. They got mm-hmm. plenty of money. They're successful in their job. They think Jesus is like an aspirin. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have a headache, then Jesus can help. But I don't need that because mm-hmm. I got this. Mm-hmm. But they do all the religious activities, but they are, they think their activities are what makes them right before God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think one of the cool, whatever, the coolest things about this is just who the blind man is. Like the posture of his life is that his hands are empty and open because he's a beggar. Mm-hmm. And the Pharisees are full because they got all the answers. And if you are not a spiritual beggar, you won't be saved. Mm. I mean, yeah, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. So what you need to be saved is need. Mm. That's it. Yeah. And you're perfectly positioned, the kingdom of God is at hand. That's part of why Jesus said it's difficult for the the rich. He said impossible. Yeah. Because they don't feel a lot of need, maybe. Well, you uh, ended, Pastor Joe, we talking a little bit from your story, your testimony. Oh, geez, I got all choked up. I can't handle it, man. I can't get over it. You cry sometimes, man. You cry. I do. It's all right. It's an okay thing to cry about, I'd say. It's not why you're talking to <laughs> people. Man, man, get up there and snot it out, bro. It's worth it. <clears throat> what do you think was different about that that time? Because you said you it was like the first time you'd ever heard it, even though you had heard it. I hadn't heard it like that. And mm-hmm. I hadn't been treated that way for five days under mm-hmm. by anybody in my life. Mm-hmm. And this guy is like when we talked about it, Jesus saw him. Dude, my my home life was just an absolute train wreck. Mm-hmm. So I saw so I was like, what like I was just perfectly positioned mm-hmm. to really be in need. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so real. That was the difference. <clears throat> I thought it was it was like cognitive assent. Mm-hmm. It's not like I didn't believe in Jesus or I don't want to. It's so bad that Pastuo gets translated belief. Mm-hmm. It's not like I didn't think Jesus was the Son of God that came and died on a cross and was resurrected on the third day. You know, I didn't have any other notion of anything. I thought that was all true. I just didn't think it had anything to, like, I didn't think of the personally crying out Lord and worshiping him. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was more of like a group identity. Mm-hmm. Like, he was our guy. And people live over there, had another guy, mm-hmm. and I just didn't really think about it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you feel seen? Well, one, I was at the camp. Coach Lee made it possible for me to be there instead of being somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that his he came after me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that informs... Or it, it shows us some way a, a way to pray for our one more, right? Because even if they've heard it and they're not responding, they're not responding, they're not responding, right? Like totally. only Jesus can open somebody's eyes like that, right? So it, and that's comforting because it's not about your presentation or anybody's presentation, really. Mm-hmm. It's got to be somebody who, whose eyes are, are open to see it, to see the light. I also think this is a really good passage of the um, 
because you know it's a very Calvinistic thing you said there, and I'm very reformed in my in my soteriology. However, there was a responsibility to respond. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, like that. I think there's a people that want to bash, you know, the doctrines of John Calvin, or that they paint with a broad brush that is not what the Bible teaches or he was teaching whatsoever, as if there's not human agency in response to the grace of God. Mm-hmm. It's just the initiator is God, and there is nothing you can do to initiate that or open your own eyes to see. Mm-hmm. God has to open your eyes to see. And then in so doing, your response is that of the faith that he gives you putting it in him. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wild. And think about in this story, if the man had been like, well, I can't make it to Siloam. Right. I could possibly get there. So this is weird that you put mud on my face, but correct. whatever. I guess I'm just still going to sit here, right? So there is that opportunity. I I forget. I think it might have been Wesley who talked about that. Like you wake up in the burning house, but you still got to get up and get out. Is that Wesley? Sounds reasonable. (laughs) (laughs) So we do have a responsibility. Well, is there anything else that, I mean, there was so much here. This is a whole chapter. Uh, Is there anything else you didn't get to that you wanted to unpack? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. I talked for a long time. (laughs) You did. It was great. You're going to do it again twice on Sunday. Yeah, man. To the glory of God. I I just think it's one of those texts where, of course, there's all kinds of salvation and God's sovereign grace and God opening the eyes of the spiritually blind and all those for sure. I just think there's a a large part of our church that uh, a, a baby was born different, you know, with, with some very specific uniquenesses <clears throat> or yeah. there's a, a very specific point of hardship or things that are hard to understand going on in your family or in, in your history. And it could have been going on for decades. Um, I just think it's, man, if you, if God, just praying that God will give everyone ears to hear this weekend, the encouragement that it is so that the works of God might be displayed through your family, through the faith that he's growing in you, through the love that he has for you, the provision he has over you, that this is a part of his provision in your life. It is not punishment right. for anything you've done or anyone else has done. And yeah. to that point, you said this, Pastor Joe, we don't get fixated on the temporary aspect of the miracle, right? Because God can do the thing you just said yeah. without changing your circumstance, right? And I think I think a lot of times what what we're hinging God displaying his glory on would be Take it away. Give it. Give me that. Take you know. Right. Give me the sight back. Right. And for a lot of people, they don't get that. Yeah, I mean, the guy's asking for some change. He gets not only a changed life, but a changed eternity. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you mentioned, we were kind of late getting started because there was a lot of I, I was yeah. hanging out with a lot of people in the lobby before coming in. I had half a dozen kids, late teens, early twenties, kind of thing who must be relatively new to our church, you know? And they were like, they would, they said some version of, I had no idea your story and my story are so similar. Oh, wow. And what we were talking about was how was home life. They just assumed, they just been, you know, like brand new UNF students, you know? They don't know. Mm-hmm. And so 
they just assume, man, I grew up in church and just been doing family devos my whole life, and they had no idea. Mm. So sometimes the power of the testimony is, especially like take those kids, everybody I talked to was like either a high school or a college kid about that. And and you could you could show them a picture of God's work in your life so that they can see, all right, well, if God can do it over there, why can't he do it right here too? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I think that is a part of what last week, how we overcome by the blood of the lamb, it's all about mm-hmm. him, by the word of our testimony, and we love not our lives even mm-hmm. unto death. Yeah. And I love that that we have stories like this in the Gospels, right? Because it's a, it's, a, it's a real event in the lives of some real people, like you mentioned, not like a, it's got so much more flesh on it than just like a set of principles, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you wrap us up, Pastor Chubby, with a prayer. And, uh, you know, there's lots to pray about in this, in, from this text, you know, gr- gratitude for our testimony, boldness to be able to share it, simple though it might be. And also for our one more is, you know, that God would open their eyes, do that miraculous work to open their eyes. Sure thing. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much. Um, for every single one of us, uh, whether we're sitting around this table or behind these cameras or listening to this podcast, that you use somebody to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with us. And through the power of the cross, Jesus opened our eyes to see you for your glory. God, we all pray that you would give us the courage, uh, the ears to hear, the eyes to see, and maybe we could be that kind of person for somebody else, our one more. God, we love you. Thank you that you see us in our brokenness. Um, God, thank you that you, even if we get rejected by others, you seek us and you find us and you love us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. <laughs> the end. You nailed it.